And um, it became the, the duty of the youngest son to take care of those sheep that the father had. And um, the boy, the youngest son, he enjoyed doing it. And it, uh, he enjoyed his time alone. Nobody, got, nobody told him what to do, which is the dream of every child, I think. Not to be told what to do all the time. It was just him and the sheep watching over them, um, making up songs, playing his instrument, chucking rocks, um, practicing with a slingshot, hitting targets, all the things that boys like to do. And uh, this, was, this was the life. Just hanging out all day outside. And every morning he would leave his house early and sometimes before anyone else was up and he let the animals out and they just kind of go out into the wilderness looking for some food to eat and things like that. He would lead them to somewhere where the grass was, was green and he'd make sure they had water nearby and he took care of these sheep with all that he had. And over time he came to love this little flock and one day while he was watching the sheep, a lion came along to try to kill a lamb and something snapped in this boy. Whether it was the love for the sheep or the fear of his father or just his youthful confidence, he attacked the lion and killed it and saved the sheep. Saved the sheep. I almost said shaved. That's completely different. And then a bear came. And it was the same thing. I don't know about you guys, but I would not fight a bear to save some animals. But I'm, I am a shepherd, but I'm not a shepherd. <clears throat> and I think it was through these two instances in those days that this is when he became a real shepherd. Um, it's one thing to just kind of babysit some animals. You can pay someone to watch your, your animals when you go away. It's another thing to risk your life to save them. It's one thing just to let some sheep out of the out of the pen to, to pasture and graze. It's another to grab a lion by the mane and to kill it. It's one thing to lead sheep to some place to drink it. Something completely different to fight a bear on behalf of your sheep. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of Mine. The Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said, A hireling runs, you know, when the wolf comes, when the enemy attacks, and he doesn't really care for the sheep, he's just there for a paycheck. I don't know if you ever had a job like that or worked with someone who said, I don't get paid enough to do this. That's what a hireling's like. I don't get paid enough to deal with this, this wolf. I'm, I'm out of here. And a shepherd, he says, is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And to a shepherd, nothing is more valuable than his sheep. And without sheep, he's not a shepherd. He's just a guy standing in a field looking weird. <laughs> and I believe that something happened in David when he killed that lion and when he killed that bear. One, his confidence and faith. And God was greatly affected. And two, he got a revelation of what it really meant to be a shepherd. And later on in his life, I have no doubt that these experiences as a true shepherd, as one who was willing to risk his life and lay it down for his sheep, I have no doubt that these 
um, ideas and concepts were on his mind when he wrote probably his famous, most famous bit of writing, Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is an incredibly popular passage of Scripture, and I would argue that it is perhaps the most popular passage of Scripture. It's a short chapter, if you will, or a song that thousands of people can quote word for word, and I had it planned that someone was going to read it before service, and then I forgot. So I apologize for that. But it's recited at funerals and gravesides and hospital rooms around the world. It brings comfort to people in times of hurt and, and loss and times of uncertainty. And I don't claim to have any special insight or revelation about it that hasn't already been shared. But I'd like to read it to you today. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever, And we could spend a lot of time on each verse and phrase today, and we have in the past, and we probably will in the future. But I'd like to draw your attention to the middle of the psalm, verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I will not fear. And now I'd like to draw your attention to the middle of the verse. It says, I will fear no evil. And so the middle of the verse, in the middle of the psalm, we find this statement. I will not fear. Fear is an incredibly powerful thing. According to my research, fear is an intensely unpleasant emotion in response to perceiving or recognizing a danger or threat. I guess a whole bunch of research here for you, so I'll have to wait through it. But fear causes psychological changes that may produce behavioral reactions, such as mounting an aggressive response or fleeing the threat. Fear in human beings may occur in response to certain stimulus uh, occurring in the present or in ante anticipation or expectation of a future threat as a risk to oneself. The fear response arises from the perception of danger, leading to confrontation with or escape from slash avoiding the threat, also known as fight or flight response, which in extreme cases of fear, horror, and terror can be a freeze response. Fear and anxiety are closely related and they can overpower us. And it can cause us to stay in one place and to freeze and sometimes it will cause us to do things that we shouldn't do. It has the opposite effect. Another instance where we will run and we'll put ourselves in a worse position. Soldiers are killed in battle more often than they should be because a fellow soldier reacts out of fear and shoots them by accident. Relationships can be destroyed because someone is afraid of something and suspicious and worried and they allow it to eat at them until... Everything falls apart. In Joshua chapter 10, there were five kings who hid in a cave because they were 
afraid and that cave of fear became their hiding place, a place where they actually felt safe, but their enemy rolled some big old stones in front of the entrance and it became a place where they were trapped. And fear will often uh, help make us feel safe and comfortable, but it will trap us and paralyze us and eventually it can destroy us. It is often a reaction to what we see, fear, or feel, or hear. People have been using fear to control others for years, and I don't want to get into some conspiracy theories, but, and I bet you didn't have me quoting a Nazi today, but here we are. A Nazi German politician, Hermann Goring, explained how people can be made fearful and to support a war they would otherwise oppose. He said the leaders, the people don't want war, but they can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. This is easy. All you have to do is tell them that they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and for exposing the country to danger. It works the same in every country, and that's how they got everyone on their side. There's a concept called the culture of fear, where through the media or through leadership, people are incited to fear so that they can be controlled or manipulated. This, in our area, this seemed to really escalate since September 11th, 2000. And one, but it was very much a thing before then. Public panics were widespread on everything from genetically modified food and mobile phones to global warming and foot and mouth disease, all kinds of things. The media can play a big part of this. According to my research, again, it's a, the, the consumption of mass media has a profound effect on instilling the fear of terrorism in North America. Through acts, though acts of terror are a rare phenomenon. Beginning in the 60s, George Gerbner and his colleagues have accelerated the study of the relationship that exists between media consumption and the fear of crime. According to their, their study, the television and other forms of mass media create a worldview that is reflective of recurrent media messages rather than one that is based on reality. You ever wonder why everything on the TV doesn't look how it looks when you go out? That's why. They create a different reality. Many uh, North Americans are exposed to some form of media on a daily basis, with television and social media platforms being the most used methods to receive both local and international news. And as such, this is how most receive news and details that center around violent crime and acts of terror, because that's what people want to see for whatever reason. No one cares about people saving cats and puppies. We want to know how many people were killed. How many accidents there were? And how many people did Steve have to pull out of a ditch to last snowstorm? We want to know about all these things. We want to, that's what drives the media. It fuels fears of terrorism and other threats to national security, all of which have, over time, a negative psychological effect on the population and brings about depression and anxiety and sometimes insomnia. Whenever there's any sort of event like this, all the politicians are in front of the cameras, having press conferences, and all that does is instill more fear into people. And that's just with the politics and the terrorism in our world. How often are we told about cancer or threats of crime or new viruses spreading across the world or cybersecurity and all these different things? We're fed fear buy our world on a daily basis. That's how they sell us things. We need to have the newest phone because we're gonna be missing out. We need this, we need that, we need, a, we need a car with all these things. 
even though the old ones seem to work better. We're fed fear on a daily basis. And that's just the general things. You know, we got personal things. We got fear of rejection. We got fear of death, pain, fear of losing someone. We worry about financial security. We worry about being attacked by others. Sometimes we, you know, we're worried about war. We're worried about inflation. When's it going to end? Gas prices going up. And I, I love starting off just depressing with you. That's how we do it, I guess. This seems to be the theme. We're afraid of debt. We're afraid of agendas that are being pushed on our kids. We're pushed in the workplace. We're afraid of some of the people I see walking around. I don't know. Some of them cause me to worry a little bit. And these are just things in the physical. And you can see how fear is such a prevalent part of our society. And the enemy of our soul uses these same tactics against us to try to control us, to try to manipulate us. He, the Bible says he roams around like a, a roaring lion, doing the best that he can to strike fear in the hearts and souls of men, doing what he can to cause us to be so afraid of living for God or so afraid of walking by faith and stepping out in faith that we become paralyzed and we don't do anything. He tries to get us to be so afraid of potential outcomes that instead of risking anything, we just stay put. Or worse, we run from what it is that we should be doing. But David, the shepherd king, said this about his shepherd God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David said, there is nothing that I will fear because you are with me because you are my shepherd and you are with me. David's life was in danger several times, sometimes from his enemies, sometimes from people who were supposed to be his friends or his allies. But David had a revelation of what a true shepherd was and a true shepherd does not abandon his sheep. A true shepherd does not leave his flock and a true shepherd continues to lead and continues to protect and continues to provide for his flock and continues to walk with his flock no matter where they go, what time of day they're in, no matter what enemy arises against them. He said, I could walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David is probably, or sorry, death is probably the most feared thing in our world. The great unknown, the end of all that we, we know. And David said, I could be in the very presence of death. I could be overshadowed, overshadowed by the, the scariest thing known to man. But I will not fear. Why? He said, because you are with me. The world is constantly pushing fear and promoting fear and peddling fear. And those are just the things that start with the letter P. And it's used to constantly or to control the masses, to hold people back, to stop them from reaching their potential, from rising up. And, and all these things, and the enemy of our soul uses the same tactics. And he pushes, and he promotes, and he peddles this 
fear and he uses it to stop the church and to stop the children of God from moving forward and to stop us from preaching like we should and stop us from reaching for the lost like we should and to stop us from teaching his word like we should and he uses it to hold us back from praying like we should and from living like we should and we worry that what other people are going to say or do and we're worried about being accepted or received and we worry about being effective for the kingdom and we worry about all sorts of other things being alone or dying or sickness or whatever, taking that step and it not working out we worry about all these things I don't need to list all the things that we worry about because you've got things and you're already thinking about them the Bible says that fear has torment it just wreaks havoc on us emotionally physically spiritually and mentally according to the University of Minnesota on a study of the impact of chronic fear living under constant threat has serious health consequences one it has consequences for our physical health fear weakens our immune system and can cause heart damage and um, intestinal problems and ulcers and all kinds of things I don't need to tell you about but it can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death fear has consequences on our memory it can impair formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain it can even um, be more this can sorry this can make it more difficult to regulate fear and leave a person anxious most of the time to someone in chronic fear the world looks scary and their memories confirm that because they've been shaped and molded to fit that it affects our brain processing and our reactivity it can interrupt uh, processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions or read nonverbal cues and other information presented to us, reflect before acting and act ethically. Ever meet someone that's so afraid everything that anyone says is an attack? Ever been there? Oh, everybody hates me. There's some people just living. But we're so afraid. It's, kind of, it's affecting how we see things. It impacts our thinking and our decision making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. And it also obviously has effects on our mental health. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, a clinical depression, and PS, um, PSTD. No, PTSD. <laughs> there we go. But fear can destroy us. And that's just physically. We take all that spiritually. And fear can really do some damage on the church. We saw him two weeks ago, I guess. Last time we had service together on the Sunday. There's a faith that we need to have that says, my God is able. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we will not bow. King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not afraid of you. My God is able. There was something about those boys. And David said, I don't need to be afraid. I could go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't need to be afraid, he said, because you are with me. And I just want to, after all that negative, depressing stuff, I just want to remind someone today that God is with you. He is still with you. He was with you yesterday. And he's with you today. And he's going to, well, tomorrow when you wake up, he's going to be with you still. He's the good shepherd. He doesn't leave his flock. 
We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear whatever the world wants to throw at us and whatever the enemy tries to do to us. If we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, he is still with me. David said in another place, Psalm 139, if I ascend to heaven, thou art there, but if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He said, there is no place that in this world or out of this world that I can go, that you are not there. And so I don't need to fear. I can go through anything. I can be in the highest of highs or I can be in hell itself, but I don't need to be afraid because my God is with me. I can be on the mountain or I can be in the valley. God is still with me. I don't need to be afraid because thou art with me. Paul said in Romans, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you persuaded today? Are you convinced today? Do you believe today that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God? Death, life, no physical realm. Angels, principalities, or powers. No spiritual force can separate us from the love of God. Nothing present, nothing in the future. The past has already been covered by his blood. Height, nor death, any direction we can go, no matter how we go, how high we go or how low we go. No creature, nothing can separate us from him. His love. And so that means whatever it is that we're facing, whatever life is throwing at us, his love is still there. His peace is still available. His presence is still there. And he is still with us today. And he still loves us today. And like the good shepherd that he is, he's not going to leave us. And so we do not need to be afraid. He is going to continue to walk with us as we follow him through the valley of the shadow of death in the green pastures and beside the still waters wherever this life takes us wherever this life throws at us we do not need to fear there are all sorts of uncertainties in life and we don't know what's going to happen one day to the next we don't know what the doctor's report is going to say we don't know what's going to what we're going to hear when we answer that phone call we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what tomorrow holds but he does and he is with us and he loves us, and nothing can separate us from that love. Well, got fired up again. One of the things that I really appreciate about Scripture is how intertwined it is. We don't need to fear because he's with me. The Bible says that. The Bible tells me that he loves me. And the Bible says that nothing can separate us from his love. We just read that. And now, 1 John 4 and 18, it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He says, yeah, fear is torment, but there's an antidote. And that's perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. Another translation says a perfect love drives out fear. It forces it to go. Now I've heard people quote this verse out of context quite often. I'm sure you have as well. I'm pretty sure I have quoted it out of context. It's usually just that phrase, you know, don't be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus loves you, so you don't need to be afraid. And that's not necessarily wrong. What, in the context of what John is saying, we've gone through this epistle before in Bible study. 
John uses this word a few times in this epistle, perfect. We know by reading and studying his book that John kind of writes, he writes in circles. He'll mention something, and then later he'll come back to it and add something to it. And then he'll go around talking about some other things, and he'll come back and add something to what he talked about before. That's how he writes this. So he mentions being perfected a few times. He says in verse 12, chapter 4, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. Verse 17, it says, but this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So perfect love here does not necessarily mean flawless love, which is the love of Jesus is, but that's not what he's saying. It's a word that means completed. Perfected, completed, you know, finished the race sort of thing. We see that all throughout this epistle. That's what he uses it to mean. And there's no reason why he would change it at this juncture. And so John is not saying that because the love of Jesus is perfect or flawless, and this may hurt your feelings because this is what's been preached before, but that's okay. John is not saying that because the love of Jesus is perfect or flawless that we should never be worried about anything, even though it is. There are plenty of other verses that tell us not to worry or fear. I'm not saying that we should. You know. But what John is saying that is that this love that God is trying to perfect in us, and that happens, we saw in another verse, by abiding in him, by abiding in his love, by us being filled with the Spirit, letting him work through us, this love that he's perfecting in us, that he's working in us, that he's completing in us, this is the love that casts out fear. He says, if you are afraid, that means that his love has not been perfected in you yet. That's what the rest of the verse says. He says, fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love. That love hasn't been completed in us yet. We are afraid of what people will do and say, and all that sort of thing. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of the future, of death, whatever. But if his love is perfected in us, that stuff doesn't really matter. And it goes the other way, too. There are people who call themselves Christian who do not have the love of God perfected in them that will often cause other people around them to be in fear. Does that make sense? You know anyone like that? You live with anyone like that? <laughs> Perfect love casts out fear, but if his love isn't perfected in us, often people around us are going to be afraid. <laughs> Oh boy. Fear of the judgment coming from them. Fear of their wrath. Got real quiet. Fear of upsetting them and causing a scene, and so we'll tiptoe around these people because we don't want to set them off. But if we would all just allow God to work and God to perfect His love in us, this would not be a problem. We'd be able to speak and talk and work together freely without fear of judgment, without fear of repercussions, without fear of something being held over our heads that we might have said and was taken the wrong way for the rest of our lives. I don't know if you've ever been around some old-time saint that you felt like you could just say anything and you were safe. You ever know anyone like that? Hopefully you have someone like that in your life. 
Why is it like that? Because they have the love of God perfected in them. And then there's others you're afraid to breathe the wrong way or they'll bite your head off. There's a fear that surrounds them because the love of God has not been perfected in them. If you think of any healthy relationship, there's no fear because there's love. If you're afraid of your husband or wife, I don't know. There's something wrong there. don't love, that's when fear takes over. And so, John says we need to let this love of Christ be perfected in us. And if people are afraid of you, or people whisper because you're around, if people are worried you're going to snap and bite their head off, then his love isn't perfected in you. If you're afraid of all these things, then his love isn't perfected in you. If you're the one, you know, so worried about everything, that his love needs to be perfected in us. And how do we do that? John says we need to abide in him. We need to spend time in his presence. We need to abide in his love. We need to abide in his spirit. We need to let him work. And some of us today, we need to get a revelation of the love of God again. We need to surrender to the love of God in our lives again and let him work in our hearts again. I don't know if you ever spent time in prayer, spent time in, in, in the spirit just praying, and then you get up, and you're ready to take on the world. Amen. Amen. Right? You ever do that? We're a real good altar call. Oh, yes, let's go. I'm going to go to this place, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to witness, and I'm going to... Why? <laughs> you're ready to do anything that Jesus asked. Why is it like that? Because we just spent time abiding in him. We just spent time in his presence, and the more we abide in him, the more we surrender to him, and the more we give ourselves to him and let his spirit work and mold and shape us, the more his love is perfected in us, and that fear is starting to be removed, and that fear is starting to be driven out. And if you haven't done that, you need to. The more his love is perfected in us, the less fear there is. Does that make sense? Got real serious here at the end. We like Psalm 23 because in times of trial, you know, in times of trial, because mostly because of verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we like this verse. We like to pick it out and claim it as our own. This is the verse when you, you know, we've done lots of funerals. More than I want to. And we always read Psalm 23 at some point. And there's a comfort in that. Like I walk through the battle of shallow death, oh fear no evil, for thou art with me. And sometimes we just kind of like to pick verses out and, and claim them and go, this is mine and I'm going to take this. But you don't get to the valley with no fear in verse 4 unless you go through the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If we can have some music, I'm just about done. The Lord is my shepherd. We don't get, you don't get to not be afraid in the valley if the Lord is not your shepherd. If you haven't surrendered your life to him, 
completely. You're not going to be free from fear in the valley of the shadow of death. If you're still fighting the shepherd, if you're still rebelling against him and his word, if he's not leading you, if you're not following him on, on the right paths, if you're not eating where he tells you to eat or you're not drinking where he tells you to drink, we all want the benefits of verse 4 to 6 without first surrendering verse 1 to 3. But it's in those first three verses, letting him be our shepherd, letting him lead us, letting, letting him call the shots, that we prepare for verse 4 to 6. We want him to be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We want the table prepared in the presence of our enemies. We want our heads to be anointed with oil and all that stuff. But we need to start at the beginning. He needs to be our shepherd. It's through abiding in him. It's through trusting in him. It's through laying down in those green pastures and walking on those righteous paths that the love of God is perfected. And it's through his love being perfected in us that fear is driven out. That sheep that, that's been following that shepherd, he knows. I don't need to fear when I go through this valley because he's led me everywhere else. He's done all these other things. I've been around him for a while. I know. You put a brand new sheep, he doesn't know the shepherd, it's gonna, they're not going to follow. It's through all these things. It's through following him, letting him be our shepherd that we can get through that valley with no fear. And some of us today, we're struggling with some fears. Got some fears of the future. We're worried about our families. We got some health issues. And anything in between. And the antidote for that is perfect love. for our fear is the love of God and it's worked in us and it's perfected in us by us abiding in him by us surrendering to him so we're going to pray here in, in a minute 2 Timothy 1 and 7 the last verse today says for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but what power and of love and of a sound mind we need the Lord to touch our minds today. Fear is pushed in our society like crazy. I don't know if it's because I never paid attention when I was younger. It just seems worse now. So much thing, so many things that we're told to be afraid of. And if we're not careful, it can take over our lives. It's loud, it's in our faces, it's pushed and promoted, but it's not of God. And God wants to give us power, he wants to give us love and a sound mind. Romans 12 lets us know that there's a transformation that happens in our minds when we lay ourselves down on the altar. There's a renewing of our minds when we surrender ourselves completely to Him, when we abide in Him. All these things are intertwined together. Does that make sense today? So if we're facing fears, if we're, we're worried, and you find yourself not able to sleep, and you're worried about all these things, 
why don't we this morning, why don't we just surrender to him today, to that good shepherd. Why don't we spend some time in his presence. We're going to open the altar. If you want to come, you can come and we'll pray with you. Pray in your seat if you want. Well, let's just spend some time this morning in his presence. That's all we, that's all we need to do today. Just spend time in his presence. Surrender to him. Jesus, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to look elsewhere for all these other things and, and guidance and leader, leadership and provision and all this stuff. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. Let's spend some time in his presence today, abiding in him. Hallelujah. Let's let his love be perfected in us and drive that fear away. In Jesus' name, the altar's open. Let's pray together today. Hallelujah. Jesus is here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Shatayos.